James, how are you? Duncan, very well, thank you. I am um, actually quite uh, excited because I have just started my new job. Ooh, what's your new job? New job. So after six very, very long and exciting years at the Iconic, I have uh, packed my bag and moved to uh, BCGDV, which stands for uh, Digital Ventures, which is a commercial venture company. So week two, very early days, but I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. Very, very, very cool. Um, you might be aware that um, we normally pull each other up on words. And I would say that perhaps I may be better at pronouncing words, but I'm horrific at spelling them. But last week I'd said to James that it wasn't epidemic, it was epidemic. And I had a friend of mine who listens to the podcast tell me that it actually is epidemic and it's spelled with an I. So <laughs> yes. I, I was... Um, Take yeah, that. Not, not right. Not good. Well, it, 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 it's funny how you and I have the complementary uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses where your weakness is spelling and my weakness is pronunciation. And in this week's uh, episode, I tried to uh, look up the correct spelling of segue, an often misspelled word that if I had seen in the wild on its own, I probably would have pronounced as segu. Because <laughs> the, re- the, 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 the correct spelling for segue is S-E-Q-U-E. And I would have looked at that and thought, that's an interesting word, the Q. I wonder what that means. <laughs> uh, just a little one. I'm super bad at spelling. So um, awesome. Um, in Australia, because we're Australian, growing up, um, there was this Olympic crew called the Awesome Foursome. And they had changed oh, yeah. to have awesome as in awe. And I'm going to spell this wrong. As in like a boat throwing awe. And so I was at school writing awesome with awe instead of A-W-E. And, and the teacher had to like pull me up and be like, that's not how you spell awesome. You know, so, so yeah, not great, not great. That, that uh, is awesome. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about today? Um, Cloud Streaks is a podcast where James and I discuss a topic or blog normally. And today we're talking about social and emotional learning. And this is something mm. which has... I don't actually know when it was created, I should know. <laughs> I think around, you know, a while ago. Um, and it's something which is, I suppose, talked more and more about in schools. And there are five core areas. Self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. So James and I will go through and talk about these things today. Um, but each of these has different subsections. So just quickly, like the first one, self-awareness has identifying emotions, accurate self-perception, recognizing strengths, self-confidence and self-efficacy. Um, so the first thing I thought would be sort of something interesting is this is also sort of based around um, the EQ work that people have done, EQ being emotional intelligence. Uh, so there's a book published in 94 by Daniel Goleman. Um, they've published in the Harvard Business Review that they say that the most important is, is IQ or EQ more important and that EQ is way more important if you work in a business with other people <laughs> uh, than IQ as an example. Um, now, some people have said the study doesn't you know, actually have support but it was published in the HBR, which is a pretty reputable place. Um, there is a heap of support, actually, research around social emotional learning. And it says that if you, uh, you know, help people with this, say, you know, kids, that they become more confident children in their abilities, that they are effective in able to manage their own behavior, that they get better results like numeracy and literacy. They can concentrate and optimize. They can problem solve better. They have positivity with staff. So it's like wins across the board. This is not just something that you think is nice because it will help you be a better person. It's actually helping you get better results at school as well. And so there's a big push to try to include this. 
And so one of the things that I thought, you know, is James, do you think IQ has gone up or down in the world, you know, in the last hundred years? Okay, so based on my rudimentary understanding of IQ as um, a, a baseline measure of intelligence, uh, the way I would look at this is um, the explosion of information over time. And so I would say yes, because I would base my assumption on that we would have more information available to us, therefore we have the propensity to learn more at an earlier stage. So my answer to you, Duncan, is I think it has. Yeah, so depending on what the test is, but an IQ test is not meant to be something you can study for. It's not meant to be something that's based on general knowledge. So just because you've got access to more knowledge doesn't mean you necessarily it's like it's like core basic math skills and core basic mm -hmm. literacy skills. Um, and so if you're not meant to be able to study for it, it should be a true reflection of, you know, your intelligent quotient. Um, and the truth is that it's gone up 30 points since 1900 on average across the world, some places more than others. Um, but that's actually 15 points is a standard deviation. So that's two standard deviation on average increase. And two standard deviations is 95% of the actual population. So this means that the average person today is scoring where the 97.5th percentile person was scoring in 1900, i.e. you in the top 2.5%. So either we've somehow gotten wildly smarter or this test, you know, doesn't necessarily you know, can be studied for. <laughs> and perhaps we have gotten smarter, um, but I also think that this is something you can study for. And so the sort of mm. follow-up question is, well, if you can study for IQ, which I think the, the answer is clearly yes, then can you study for EQ? And this is something we've talked about in the past, which is emotional sorry, um, neuroplasticity. Everything is a skill, can be cultivated. So I used to think you can cultivate your math skills, you can learn that at school, but you can't cultivate empathy, you can't cultivate, you know, all these other things, but the truth is you can. And, and so there's heaps of, you know, examples of this. So there's looking at a couple more stats. Basically, if you look back over time, people have supposedly gotten perhaps more empathetic. So we've been abolishing capital punishment. It used to be fine in schools. So perhaps your parents went to school and the teacher was able to give them a cane. Now, any teacher, hopefully, who is physically abusing a student is going to be in serious trouble. Um, violent crimes are down. White collar crimes are down. Like domestic abuse is down. You know, and so I'm not saying that we, we haven't got a long way to go. But, you know, if you look at all the stats and all the things, you know, things have significantly improved. So it sort of appears that we're becoming better at living with each other. And perhaps that is a sign that EQ is improving. Mm, yeah, so that, um, it's actually quite interesting um, that you point this out, that it seems to be like, so if you can see the graph that, um, and maybe we can provide a link for it in the notes if you want, it seems to be quite linear in a sense that uh, regardless of where you are in the world, based on where you're starting from, uh, and in this case within the 1960s, it's a very gradual increase over time. Mm. Uh, and I would have thought that it might have been a little bit more uh, related or correlated to um, social progress in certain uh, areas. So uh, like take for example, uh, in the early uh, 90s and early 2000s, when you had the proliferation of the World Wide Web, uh, I would have thought there would have been a certain uh, Western or certain first world countries that would have had a, a increase in this area too, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So I thought that was actually an interesting observation. That's an interesting one about the web. I think we don't want to go off on too much of a rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, if you look at sort of since social media has come along, um, mm. there's been a rise in anxiety, a rise in depression and bullying, um, other things. And so basically, um, 
it can be used to, I don't know, Instagram to inspire you to eat well, or it could give you an eating disorder. It could inspire you to like some beautiful art, or it could give you status anxiety. And for better or worse, on average, it's been more for the latter. Humans have played to the seven deadly sins, you know, envy, etc. And so the web may not actually have been a place for this. It might be a place where you can find, I don't know, unsavory characters on the internet saying some <laughs> unsavory things. So maybe mm. the first question I had is like, do you think you are self-aware, James? And perhaps mm. do you think you're more self-aware than you were 10 years ago? Okay, so this is a very good question. Uh, and I think this comes into, um, well, what really comes into play here is um, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, and I think uh, th this is something that you could probably go through better than I can. But uh, in general, this is a cognitive bias that we have, uh, human beings have where we basically think of ourselves as more superior uh, in our cognitive abilities than we really are. So the reason I bring this up is in answering to your question, uh, 10 years ago, if you had asked me this question, I would have thought, yes, I have good self-awareness. <laughs> I feel like I am very much in, in tune with what my emotional state is. But if having asked me this question now and looking back 10 years ago, I can tell you that I was blatantly ignorant, <laughs> uh, very much um, in terms of emotional awareness, not only just to my own uh, uh, setting, but the effect that I had on other people's emotions as well. Um, and there was, um, so yes, yeah, so I would say there was, a, there was a lot of learning in those 10 years. Yeah, there's a famous quote which says, I'm not young enough to know the answer anymore. And that kind of means only young people think they can understand what's going on. And so life is perhaps a you know, series of realizing that you don't know. <laughs> um, so there's a book that I found recently called Insight by Tasha Urich. Now, I've probably butchered that surname pronunciation, E-U-R-I-C-H. Mm. Uh, anyways, they've done a bunch of studies, and these are mainly related around work, um, but I think it's probably applicable elsewhere. 95% of people think that they are self-aware, but studies show that only 10 to 15% actually are. And I thought this was turbo interesting. So I'm in the same boat as James. I, you know, what used to think that, well, of course, I know how I feel. Of course, I know who I am. If I don't know that, you know, what, it, that's one of the only things I could know. You know, I don't know nuclear, you know, physics or something, but I, I know what I'm feeling. But actually, unfortunately, the studies show that's not the case, and I believe also my personal experience shows that's not the case. Yeah, so um, it, it, it's very pertinent when you have something that can give you, or someone, I should say, give you perspective. And for me, one of the biggest uh, learning uh, journeys I've undergone in this space was in my career. Uh, and the example I have is when I first started uh, work after university, I joined a consulting, a, a consulting company. Uh, and Sorry. like I couldn't say uh, consulting. This is quite funny. <laughs> that was my job for like a number of years. Can't say the word. Yep. I, I do consultant stuff. I'm a good, you know, to hire me to help you consult. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I know stuff. Uh, but in that, um, in, in that first part of my career, uh, I, no, I would not, uh, you know, I guess succeeding on the typical trajectory as normal people were. And it was brought back to it was brought to my attention that this was because I was perceived as arrogant by my uh, by the senior members of my company, 
And that was the first time that I ever felt like there was this complete disconnect between the person that I knew myself to be, or at least the person I thought I knew myself to be, and how I was conveying myself to those around me. And it was over the most um, seemingly mundane um, aspects. It wasn't because of how I worked with others. It was simply in the way that I presented myself, whether it was how I greeted them, how I sat in meetings, <laughs> all of these more visual cues or um, you know, body language type areas. But it was, a, um, it was a big turning point for me to realize that just because I think a certain way or I think of myself in a certain way doesn't mean that that is something that, my, um, that I'm giving out in the more external uh, standpoint. Yeah, this is a really good one. Um, you know, th- what you think about yourself, what you think you are, is often not what others perceive you to be. And so this book, Insight, um, let's sort of talk about, like, can you do self-introspection? So, James, do you think if you try to examine yourself and understand yourself that you become, you know, to have a better understanding of yourself? Or do you think that on average you come to have a worse understanding of yourself? I think this is probably the, the, the typical learning curve where you go through a trough of disillusionment first before you come out on the other side um, more enlightened. So um, the, the, this, to start off, yes, I would feel like that the more I uh, have introspective uh, thoughts, the more I feel like I wouldn't know at all what it is that I'm actually thinking. But then when you get past that, can you actually get some real nuggets of wisdom? Yeah, so of course, this is not to say that all the time, but the studies show that on average, when you start to try to, you know, understand yourself, so maybe you start writing about yourself in a journal, you actually, on average, are less, you're making, your understanding yourself gets further away from what you actually are, i.e. your level of self-awareness decreases. (laughs) And this is because people are pretty good at saying, you know, I'm pretty good at that, aren't I? Or, you know, that time that went bad? That wasn't my fault. That was the other person's fault. And so basically, you know, one of the things they're saying is that you need to have somebody else endorse your view. So in in other words, you should be trying to understand yourself, but you need to get a second opinion and probably a third and a fourth opinion. And if you only have your opinion, unfortunately, your opinion is often wrong, i.e. wrong more than 50% of the time. And so I think this is truly interesting. And I've kind of now tried to imbibe the view that I don't know who or what I am unless I have had it endorsed or, you know, a second or third opinion signed off on it. Mm. That's that's actually a really good, um, I guess, think mantra to live by. Uh, I haven't actually thought of it in that way, but it it is quite true. And I think of only the inverse as an example, which is uh, if somebody calls you an asshole, then that's just their opinion. If two or three people call you an asshole, then maybe you need to stop and take uh, consideration of what exactly is happening in this uh, particular case. So maybe it's it's more helpful to look at it from a positive perspective, which is to try and think about more uh, affirmative traits that people identify you as. So that's a very, very good um, perspective to have, Duncan. I haven't actually employed that. And I think one of the main reasons is, and this probably might be misguided, is that I always try to look for critical feedback. I try to ask people areas in which I can improve in, not areas that um, I may have um, good qualities on. 
so that's a, um, so that's a good perspective to have actually yeah so i think um what you kind of want to do is have an accurate perception of yourself now some people on average you generally think you're better than you are and your friends are better looking than they are and, and on and on right um, but some people, unfortunately, are their own worst enemies and they cut them down to size and they think they're worse than they are. But I'd say most people have some areas where they probably think, yeah, I'm a very nice person. I only do good things, <laughs> you know, um, and some areas so they think they're better than they are and some areas where they think they're worse. The problems mm. come from when you're off, either you're thinking you're better or worse than you are. And what I've mm. found is that giving people feedback is a gift. It's an opportunity to grow. And so what you need to do is to try to set up what I call mirrors i.e. people who show you what you look like at work. And then you get this positive like flow of different things um, that, that show you around and, and what you actually look like. And so one of the things which we do, and this is what sort of came from James in this podcast a bit, is we record meetings. And then you get to listen to yourself in the meeting. And what you realize, at least for me, when you listen to yourself is all these things that you didn't realize before. So you can actually have a mirror of yourself, which is you just recording yourself. And so as an example, I didn't realize how over or actively transparent my mood was in my tone. I was like in my head, I might have gotten frustrated by something as an example. And I'd be like, being cool, being calm, collected. I'm going to respond to this. And, you know, this is going to be really, you know, constructive. And then and then what actually comes out is, Duncan is frustrated. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so, you know, I just thought, you know, one thing I'd say is, like, recording yourself is, is and once you get past the fact that your voice sounds horrible, <laughs> um, you can now realize <laughs> that your tone is horrible if you're me. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, it's incredibly um, powerful when you get beyond um, having your own thoughts in a vacuum. Uh, and like uh, to, to like what you said, Duncan, um, we're all heroes of our own story. We all think ourselves as, um, you know, not uh, enlightened, but like the good guys. Uh, and it's only when we start to see how we uh, are affecting our environment or coming across to others, do we actually see how we really are as people. Um, and I really liked your example in the, in the meeting, uh, which uh, reminds me of Ray Dalio's approach, which is radical transparency. Um, so if anyone's read up on Ray Dalio or have um, read his book on principles, you would know that similar to what Duncan does at um, Adrolo is that they not only record all of their meetings. Not and, all, um, major ones. Well, major ones, yeah. um, what meetings worth recording, but they we'll also have a, ve <laughs> a, a, <laughs> a very open um, evaluation model where anyone in the business can provide a rating to anyone else in the business, be you an analyst or an intern, you can provide Ray Dalio himself a rating out of 10 on his preparation skills, his talking skills, his uh, presentation skills. Um, and I really, really like that model where you are no longer judged based on your level of influence or on your standing in a business, but simply on um, the merit of how you are performing. Yeah, um, you need as much feedback as possible. I think initially people can feel that it might hurt or you know, your initial reaction is like defend because you, know, you don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> um, but actually, if someone is giving you feedback, it's an opportunity to grow and the best thing is to try to lean into it and, and to learn from it. Mm. Um, the next sort of one they have here, so under self-awareness, there's identifying emotions. 
accurate self-perception, recognizing strengths, self-confidence, and efficacy. Um, so I thought we'd talk a little bit about accurate self-perception. Um, and one of the things which I found is really, really, really good for this is meditation. Um, so what I find is that the busier I get, the less self-perception I have. So if I'm at work or on you know the weekend and I'm just running around from one thing to the other, my ability to observe my consciousness is getting less and less. And meditating is kind of stopping doing everything in some respects. It's like no thinking about work. So the goal is to just stop your mind from thinking, concentrate on your breath, concentrate on your mantra, you know, body scan, whatever else it is, right? And what I find is that during this time, you can then, because you've stopped everything else, start to listen to what your emotional, you know, temperature is or what your, your emotions are. And so it's like taking temperature so of this. And what it hopefully does, is, if it does well, is like it enables you to then return to calm. You're like practicing your calm muscle. And so I've just realized that, you know, if, if I, you know, am in calm waters, I have time for self-perception. But if I am in hectic, busy waters, I kind of like don't. And that's the time I need it. <laughs> it, it, it is funny how um, times when you need things the most are when you are most uh, unavailable to um, employ those particular techniques. Um, for myself, uh, personally, I do something similar where... Um, and now I'm going to try really hard to pronounce this right. But Stoic philosopher uh, Epictetus. Oh, where is uh, this Epi- word? <laughs> um, so E P I C T E T U S. So he's a, he's a, he's a no, I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, um, he 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 um, his influences are people like Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius, um, I think it is. <laughs> that one I'll have a crack at because I've heard it many times. Yeah, go on. Um, but they, yep. they talk about um, stoic journaling where you, at the start of each day, you list out, um, you know, what are your goals for the day. But just as important is at the end of each day, you reflect. And you reflect on two things. You reflect on what you set out for in the day and you also reflect on what is your emotional um, standing at that point and why. Um, and and that's probably for me the more beneficial of the two. Um, and it's not because I don't ever achieve my goals that I set out to, but it's because I will often ask myself this question, and I will be feeling a certain way, and the answer is not immediately available available to me. I don't like. It's not like I'm feeling a little bit, um, you know, upset because so and so cut me off in a meeting or so-and-so interrupted me in a podcast. Um, (laughs) It's it's a lot more, um, I I guess, um, like undercut than that. And so it takes, you know, it takes time and effort for you to actually work through what it is that you're feeling until you can actually get to a point for you to be consciously aware of what's causing that. Mm. Um, So this is something they talk about, like leading from the shadows and leading from the light. Um, and this is part of self-perception. Um, so leading from the light is where you know what's driving your decisions. And leading from the shadows is where you're unaware of these things. And so we have um, project sizes at work. So if you've ever got a problem, it's like a small, medium, or a large. And for a large, you've got to write down the job to be done, which is from Clayton Christensen, I'm very much a fan of him. But you've also got to write down at the beginning, what is my emotional state? And when you try to explain it, what I found is that I'm okay at explaining it if I try to figure out what it is. 
But most of the time, I don't even bother trying. <laughs> and I'm just running around like, ah, get this done, get that done. <laughs> and, and I have no idea. Um, and so your emotional state fundamentally affects your decision making. And one of the best places to see this in numerical form is in financial markets. The price to earnings multiple is one of the core ways they try to value a stock market. And you can measure fear and greed. Like people will literally pay two to three times as much when the world is good for exactly the same thing as when they think the world is bad. And so there's no sort of, you know, it's just emotions that are changing the the valuation on this. Mm. So, yeah, if you don't know what your emotional standpoint is or where it is at, then it'll be driving a lot of your decisions and you will be being driven from the shadows. But there's heaps of other things as well that happen. Yeah, quick, uh, quick quote from Warren Buffett. Uh, we are greedy when others are fearful and we are fearful when others are greedy. Mm-hmm. And that's not just an advice on how to um, you know, invest more smartly, but- More smartly? Me, more, <laughs> <laughs> more- Smarter. More, Is more, more smartly right? Is that actually grammatically correct? Or not? I, I, I'm going to say it is. Oh, God. It sounds like a... Okay, I'm not going to grab it, but more smartly does not sound like a smart way to say something. <laughs> smartly. <laughs> yeah. In a manner showing quick-witted intelligence or skill. Yeah, but more smartly. Oh, God. Okay. Invest more smartly. <laughs> I'm like, nah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, so like um, more increasing. Yeah, that's like yeah. double. More smart. Double that doesn't sound right either. Whatever. Go yeah, on. Yeah. More okay. smartly. Okay. We know stuff. I... <laughs> 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 I know the best words. Yeah, I have all the best um, words. But it's also an insight into um, his decision-making uh, process, and that is that they employ um, logical reasoning when others are relying solely on their emotions. Uh, and that's what you're looking at when you can think, you know, what's driving the stock market up um, is based on future expectations, and then on top of that can be people, you know, baser level, um, you know, desires such as greed. And so that's when they look at it from a more fearful perspective, thinking like how much of this is just hype that's been baked into it. Anyway, mm. um, the, uh, what I wanted to get to is that uh, human beings are not very good decision makers. Because we think of ourselves <laughs> as logical beings, but um, the research shows that we're actually not. Where a lot of our um, decision making is based on emotion, and um, or I guess that the cognitive biases, um, heuristics, etc. Indeed, Duncan. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Um, so people who are in this this long would recommend you have a decision journal, um, and so this is where you write down all the key decisions you make. And there's many different films of this. There's one from Farnham Street that I quite like. But basically, each week on Monday is like my review day. So I kind of review the week before. And then I write down, are there any, what I would just put the large decisions in there. And because like some decisions, you know the answer like later that day, but some decisions it's going to take three months to figure out what the hell is you know right or wrong. And so you write down the date. Then you write down what your thoughts are. You write down your emotional headspace. Like, I'm super awesome today and I think, you know, I can do anything. Or like, no, nah, today wasn't a good day and I'm, you know, really worried about anything working out. Um, and then you write out what you think the different decision variables are and what you think the expected outcome is. And then you put a date to review this. And then you get to go back and look at this. And 
this is a huge, 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 I think, you know, way of, you're building a mirror, you know, for yourself to be able to look back at yourself at, you know, at a snapshot in time and be like, oh, God. And so the most important thing is to be pointing in the right direction. And most people worry about, like, you know, are you being effective? But if you're going fast in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter. So I think the single most important thing is like there's you know, progress, which is typically what you want to do, progressing at work, progressing to become a better person, progressing to, you know, be a better partner for your, you know, your romantic partner, whatever, is progress equals plan times execution. And plan is just the decisions you make, right? Execution is how well you execute them. A lot of people are like, how do you execute well? And I'm not saying that's not important. It doesn't matter if you're going the wrong direction. So yeah, decision journal. I got one. It's awesome. You should do it. <laughs> Uh, there's many things that we could be doing to see uh, journaling on um, and, he, and this is just another one of those mm. so um, I think in terms of recognizing strength it's, um, it's a bit of an interplay between you having the ability to see these strengths of your own um, but as you said Duncan having those around you to put merit up to I guess in, reinforce those strengths um, so one of the key there's, there's another there's another um, I guess uh, means of right. <laughs> someone trying to call me. Someone okay, while well, someone's that. calling you, James, do you want to keep going or not? We don't hang up. <laughs> I've hung up. I said, okay, keep, keep going, keep going. Yeah, all right. So, another means of um, ascertaining what your strengths are are some, some really good uh, strength tests that are out there, and one of them is the I believe it's the MBTI. Um, test which puts a number of your different uh, characteristics along a spectrum um, and one of them being whether you are intuitive or whether you have the ability to make judgmental decisions but uh, I guess the, 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 the caveat here or the, the, the crux of my point is that if you can understand what other people's strengths are then you can actually prop themselves up as well. Hmm. Yeah I mean so one of the things that James may recall is I started FFF which is feedback for friends. Um, so you want to basically, to learn about yourself, you've got to have others help you realize what you look like because for better or worse, you're not good at it as according to the studies. And in my personal experience, I wasn't very good at it. Um, and so people talk about 360 degree feedback at work, which is like you get from your peers and your boss and maybe if you have your manager, like your directs. Um, how about this? Like feedback with your family. Like I would sit down with my mum. <laughs> I would sit down with James and other people because part of who you are is not just who you are at work. And so what we would do is your key strengths and weaknesses with examples. We're aiming for three. So it's not, it's not like Duncan is something without an example, don't do it. And then also I did it once a year, the key ways that you have changed in the last year. And then you would sit down and I remember sort of you're thinking, you know, how many of these, because I try to write them myself before I spoke to people. And I reckon I was probably getting one of the three that people were saying. And this is like, you know, I was a third on the money or something. And those other two that I was saying weren't things that I, you're like, oh yeah, that's fair. They're like, really? Like, what? <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, um, I would honestly try this. And, and what happened is that then you do it for them. And at the end of this, you've actually formed a deeper relationship and bond. There's like a whole new level of stuff that you talk about. Before you use them to things, so I think, you know, a good friend to Socrates, the purpose of a friend is to help you better than you otherwise would have been. Well, to do that, you need to be able to talk to each other about each other's strengths and weaknesses. And that's what, you know, FFF was, feedback for friends. Did you enjoy it, James? Or what are your thoughts? I immensely enjoyed it because um, I think, uh, you know, 
there are many different there are many benefits of having friends <laughs> <laughs> but one of them is that um provided that you have um a, a good enough level of trust in each other they can tell you things that you don't necessarily want to hear or at least your um your ego doesn't want to hear about but the strengths of having a friend tell you is that you don't have to feel like you need to be defending yourself or defensive in a way that someone else would because they're not judging you they're simply telling you something that they've observed so um so this to me one of the the biggest uh, i guess um roadblocks in giving and receiving feedback in something like the workforce because people often misconstrue it as for judgment of their character and so they're not willing to receive the feedback as much but when you do it with your friends because you know this is someone that you like and respect to hear critical feedback actually helps to remove that barrier and so when duncan you know also because this is a very controlled environment i am anticipating critical feedback <laughs> i am ready for it i spent um, the last month preparing myself <laughs> got it i'm much more open to um receiving it and i think that's um a really really good way for others to start you know going down this path of trying to um you know get this kind of insight yeah i agree um, so basically as we sort of talked about, there's these different areas and you can get better at them. So you can cultivate anything, any skill, like creativity, um, stress management, being calm, you know, empathy, mathematics, you know, writing. And so if we look at the different areas, um, there was, you know, self-awareness, which I've sort of been through a little bit. Then there's self-management. And so underneath here, there's things like impulse control, stress management, self-discipline, motivation. So let's just take like impulse control. Let's say that you were trying at school to help people learn about this. And you might have an English text and somebody, you know, in the text was, I don't know, did something bad to the other person. And then the, 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 the I don't know, the teacher is saying, well, they shouldn't say anything about this. They shouldn't have an impulse. They should just, you know, not do this. And so I think this is sort of interesting because, you know, this is how some of these you know, education things happen. The sort of question I had is like, James, you know, would you be comfortable? You've got two kids, you know, with a teacher saying this, in effect, providing moral, you know, or, or ethical standards. So to, to teach my children. Yeah, they're teaching them around. social emotional learning. And part of that is like, well, what is impulse control? How should you yes. respond if this circumstance happened? And they are providing their view. Mm -hmm. This is not one plus one is two. You know, it's, <laughs> it's true, you know. I mean, yeah. but this yeah. is like, well, I believe the best way to respond is this. So not only am I comfortable with it, I'm kind of counting on it. <laughs> uh, and largely because, and uh, this is something that I um, am more convinced of every day with my own journey into parenting, is that uh, things like emotional uh, intelligence, social awareness are learned qualities. They are not inherent in us. Like, so, um, to be fair, I, th I do believe some people have um, naturally, are more naturally gifted in these areas, but more than anything else, I think these are most by nurture, not by nature. Um, and this is all based on the fact that we are social creatures. Emotional intelligence at its core is our ability to connect and engage with other people. 
And this is something that I see being fundamental to um, everyone's journey when they go through school, when they go through life, when they grow up with friends in their family. Um, but what could, what seems to be missing is a actual structured curriculum around this in the school. As you said, Duncan, teachers will, you know, if, if, if um, a child, you know, hits another child, the teacher will pull them up and say, now that's not okay because of X, Y, Z. And that's great because they learn from that and they learn what happens by seeing the reaction on the child's face. But there's not, there's, from what I've seen, there's no widespread actual adoption of a curriculum that will teach this. Yeah, um, there is sort of nothing explicit. So they say culture happens by default or by design. So if there's not somebody providing someone with, you know, what impulse control should be, what self-stress management should be, you know, then they're going to pick it up somewhere. And so I think that we need to hopefully be helping people, you know, who are young to people who, are, you know, may not know certain things, see why certain things make sense. So I think that in schools, as an example, there's far more bullying that's it's allowed that it's, it's as part of growing up than there should be. Um, you know, there's not bullying allowed in the workplace. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe sometimes occur, but, you know, some of the way that children are to other children, you'd be like, there's be like a clear breach and this is like, you know, you do it again, you're fired. <laughs> but then they'll just allow yeah. people to like ritualistically bully people for years. Um, so I, I think, you know, it should be, but, but where's the line, right? So, so for instance, I don't have kids, but let's say like, I believe in evolution. <laughs> uh, and if someone was teaching creationism to my kid at school, I'd have a problem with this. Is there like a line that you can see like that you would be not cool with, James, you know, for, I don't know, social, emotional learning side of things that you think is not right? Um, if I could boil it down to one aspect, it would be shame. Um, and that is shaming a child in their behavior when really what I think would be much more beneficial is helping them learn how to correct that behavior and why that is more beneficial. So, um, and, and I, I <laughs> this was a thought I had to myself the other day and I didn't expect it to, um, to share it anyway, but I'm going to share it um, now. But the thought I had was that there is something um, amiss in society when the saying, if you're going to act like a child, then I will treat you like one, comes across as a threat and not actually something that is uh, nurturing. Um, and the reason I say that is that when a child is petulant or is acting out, um, I see it as my role as a parent and I would like to think it is also the role of the teacher to try and understand why a child is acting that way, understand the emotion behind that behavior and help them manage that rather than to say you're punished or you go sit in the corner or you, um, you know, that's not good behavior. You go and apologize and hug that person right now did that make sense yeah so it, it's sort of interesting like what what if they did make them go and apologize yeah so do, the, you, do you think the, that it's fine and like for instance what if they made them apologize for something that they don't they shouldn't have actually apologized for <laughs> i remember like yeah. there's there's always people um so this is like a thing like should you at school tell on somebody if they did something wrong and then if you do this, you like lose okay. a friend, right? <laughs> and, and like, what is the trade-off here? And yeah. would you be comfortable with a teacher who you don't necessarily know that well telling your child 
what is right or wrong here and this having a large impact on them. Yeah, so I think this comes down to fundamental principles. And um, the principles, like, you can't really have any kind of circumstantial absolute without there being context. So, for example, do you tell on another child? Well, what is the context? Is that child, um, you know, cheating on a test or is that child bullying another child? Um, you know, they're two very different things. Um, you know, like Duncan, uh, people may not know this, but Duncan and I knew each other from when we were in prep or preschool or whatever yeah. um, the equivalent is. Um, and so, you know, if I saw, you know, heaven forbid that you were cheating on a test back when you were friends, um, I would not have seen it incumbent on me to tell the teacher about that because I valued our friendship more. Um, but if I saw you picking on someone, you know, making fun of them for whatever reason, um, I would like to think that it was part of the teacher's role to help children understand that this is where they need to, you know, stand up for that, those who are being picked on, um, that, it go, that it's more than just, you know, you know, your own standing or that with your friend, that this is what you need to do because this is how it would be good for you to be treated that makes sense yeah i think it gets really great like honestly if i was cheating you probably should have told on me is my current view i may yeah, not i may sure. not have like liked it much at the time and maybe we wouldn't be friends now you know but oh. but like you know there, there needs to be so they, they say that there's like a optimal level of you know there should be laws right you can't just trust everyone for everything um and so there's an optimal level of incarceration they say not enough and people go around stealing and, you know, you know, hurting other people too much and you get like a systemic problem where people are, you know, in jail for reasons that perhaps shouldn't be and then they become like more violent in jail because jail's not necessarily the greatest place. And so they say that America, for instance, perhaps maybe has too much incarceration um, and I don't know that some of the other countries like Australia have like a relatively good amount. Um, Australia is like the least you know, crime country, I think, along with New Zealand, if you look at things like from violent crime and white collar crime in the world. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. And so... Well, that we're just really crap at policing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, stats, you know, things. So it, it, it's really, really the science. And this is where I think sometimes people are like, well, there is this gray area. And I think the key thing for me would be that in this instruction, what you're trying to do is to help people figure out what matters to them most. And then to figure out what they think is right, not to inherit. But can you do this with little kids? I think the answer is, again, things happen by design or by default. So if you're not talking about it, it'll sort of implicitly occur. Most countries now think that capital punishment, i.e. the death penalty, is not good. Um, you know, the percentage of countries that allow this is just continually going down. Whereas, I don't know, 100 years ago, it was like almost all countries allowed this. And so you know you sort of inherit the things from today so yeah i think it you know net, net needs to be done well but we have almost no active uh you know mm. emotional intelligence education mm. um so they say that um a, a society is able to function well when there is a good social contract um and i thought that was interesting because it points at many things one being that we are not inherently benevolent beings that we need to feel like that we have a contract with wider society in order for us to function appropriately one thing being you know if you the government provide me with safety such as policing and fire and um you know good infrastructure then i'll behave 
Um, and the, the counter, counter example or the counter argument to this was when there were natural disasters such as Cyclone Tracy in the United States, um, people resorted to looting. And everyone looking from the outside in looked at this and thought it was absolutely abhorrent behaviour, it was inexcusable um, and it was just below the human um, standard. But this comes back to an element of self-awareness. And um, Duncan, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but if we were, you know, let's say Australia-wide, because Duncan lives in Melbourne and I'm in Sydney, uh, in a, um, a uh, natural disaster, would you yourself resort to looting? And I think maybe for the 85% of people who think they're self-aware but aren't really, would probably say, no, of course not. I'm a, you know, a, um, you know, I am a upstanding citizen, I would not do that. But uh, for me, I have no doubt that I would do that um, if I was not having emergency provisions provided to me and my family. I would put everything else aside and I would do what it took for me to give food, sustenance um, and safety to my family. So of course I would do it. But other people looking from the outside in see this as um, you know, bad people act behaving badly. Um, so I think it's really um, an interesting way for us to look at this um, dichotomy between what it is for a society to function um, when really it's just a very strong social contract. Yeah, we're getting maybe a bit off track, <laughs> mm. but there's this thing that they call like the guard tower problem. So basically, mm. um, this is where philosophy gets like really hardcore. <laughs> A, um, in, a, in a prison, if there's somebody in the, you're in the yard and, you, and there's somebody in the guard tower looking down on you and they've got a gun or whatever, and if people mess up, then they know that they're going to get, you know, shot or something if you try to escape or if you start a big fight. So what they've thought, they realize is that what you need is to kind of have people think that there's a guard tower in society, but not just in a prison, that i.e. if you mess up, you're going to get caught. And that if people don't think there's a guard tower, then they'll get away with things. And so then it's like, how do you design a society that has a guard tower sort of out there, i.e. that you think you shouldn't do this? But then there's two sides to the guard tower. There's one which is reportability, i.e. you are all responsibility. And the ones with reportability versions, you then kind of try to get away with it if you can. As in the responsibility ones, you don't. You're just like, you know, I don't want to do this. And so this is a sort of very hard thing, and this is where... Society has kind of slowly been getting, been getting better at living with each other. And being getter, sorry, Duncan. Yeah. And so I think this is one of the things, we're getting sort of too deep here. On, maybe we should go back to what we were talking about. But yeah. like, when you believe or when you realize that the world is not zero sum, that you can actually do good for somebody and have good for yourself. It's not like if you give them something, then you, you've not got it back. Then this is this responsibility side of things. Mm. Um, and so this is, I know I've gone on for a long time, this is trade. So one of the reasons I, but, that like, like yeah. things have gone down massively, it used to be that we were all hunter-gatherers and that, you know, you had to basically find a, an animal or whatever to eat. And then if you didn't find that, you starved. And then we tamed the, um, you know, environment. We built farms. So we didn't have to wait. We could see more guarantee. And as that happened, there was much less killing between tribes because it made sense that everyone was around to help tend to the thing, to the crops. Happy days. And then now we see world trade that's been going up. That's one of the reasons why people don't like what Trump's doing. The more trade has gone up, if you go and attack your neighbor country, 
you actually rely on them for half the stuff you get because you're trading with each other. <laughs> so there's a massive downside. And so the more trade there has been between people, the more they realize it's mm. in their benefit to be nice to them. It's not just a mm. like, oh, it's a good thing to do to be nice to other humans. It's like, well, if I go and murder them all, then they were the people that gave me all those things that I needed. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so I feel like we have digressed, but I think it's still very interesting. I just want to give one countervailing example um, to this guard tower notion, which I also agree um, is um, still very pertinent in society today. But there's also the aspect that humans will behave when they are given the opportunity to do so, or they will, um, you know, in, they will act in a good way. And a really good example is, is streaming. Um, or you know, music and uh, and movies on online. So back in the early two thousands, when there were things like BitTorrent and Napster um, running rampant, everyone thought that people just you know didn't want to pay for movies and uh, music, and that they were just um, amoral, and that they were just stealing all of this content. But what um, a, a counter narrative was growing out of this um, you know this group of people was that there was no legitimate platform out there that could provide this to them. And they said, like, if you can give us the means of accessing this at the same, you know, in the same way that it's being provided us by Napster and BitTorrent, then we will use it. Um, and this was shown um, to a degree when iTunes finally was able to start streaming movies and, um, uh, and music. So I think it's a really interesting uh, observation that yes, I think you need to have things like guard towers in place so that people don't step out of line. But we can also look at it in a way that if we can provide the systems for people to operate within, then they will. Yeah. So if there's a this is a sort of there's different levels of motivation they talk about, but this is like a carrot versus stick. Mm, <laughs> so yeah, that's the way of making a lot more yeah, um, towers and video streaming. Yeah. Touch. Well, the ta- the guard tower is the stick. Right, like you mess up, we're going to catch you. How do yeah. you make sure people feel this? Um, and so, you know, there's police. You can see them around. The people who get done for corruption, you know, that it's shown on TV or whatever. Um, but there's also an incentive to actually do good. And this is kind of what we were talking about before. So the bigger, you know, and more interconnected things have got, the more specialization has occurred. And so, you know, we replaced 90% of all, 90% of people were farmers, now 1.7% are farmers and in Australia, and we're actually a net exporter of food. So that means we destroyed, you know, 88.3% of jobs and they've found new jobs. So we now rely on all the farmers, you know, to feed the rest of us. <laughs> so if somehow the city decided to go to war with the country, the city would all starve pretty quickly, right? And so this is not a good outcome. So there's an incentive for us to work together. But then the people in the country who are big farmers, they're not going to necessarily be able to make TV shows or books to read or, you know, whatever else it is, or clothing. And so people can specialise into these areas and you get a much better outcome. And so if we sort of look at this back again, like what is the stick to becoming more you know, social emotional learning. Like, why is we should we not do it, and what is the mm. carrot to do it? Do you have any thoughts on this, mm. James? Yeah, well, I think um, my example in my early stage of my career was that stick. I wasn't getting promoted or moving forward in my career because part of my um, emotional or my ignorance to my own emotional awareness um, was holding me back. Uh, and so I had a, I had a choice. I could either flip the table and say, "Well, stuff you guys, that's not." who I am, you're just being unreasonable. 
Or I could go the other way and think to myself, what have I done to give off this notion of, um, of, of a certain personality to these people? What impression have I given them to make them think this way? Uh, and, you know, uh, spoiler, I went down the, the latter path. And that to me was a much more uh, rewarding uh, journey because that allowed me to learn from the mistake I was making and apply that um, in all um, in all jobs that I've taken on since then. So I think the stick definitely holds a place in this particular, um, you know, in one's own journey of self-awareness. Um, but I definitely think that the, the carrot is probably something that I would much rather use as a foundation and have the stick as a more... Um, you know, intermittent, uh, you know, guidance or adjuster. Yeah, so um, for me in work, uh, so Daniel Goleman, who wrote Emotional Intelligence, this book, um, and they've, again, some research published in the HBR, and so people have tried to debunk this, but, you know, HBR is pretty reasonable, say that to be doing well in work, you kind of want to have decent IQ. You know, if you've got very bad, not good. And obviously we can improve <laughs> IQ, but let's just say that you're above average. But, you know, if you're average IQ and you've got really strong EQ, that's far more important than having average EQ and really strong IQ. Mm -hmm. And EQ, in some respects, are the things that we've sort of been talking about here. So self-awareness, self-management, social perception, relationship management, etc. And so at work, the stick in the carrot and one thing, like if you're not doing good, you're not going to get promoted or at worst, you get fired, right? And if you mm -hmm. are doing well on EQ, you're going to get promoted. Uh, more than that, you're good to work with. People with low EQ are not good to work with. And also EQ here isn't just, oh, I'm going to get paid more, I'm going to get an actual you know, promotion. It's self-awareness and self-management. So not only are you better to work with other people, you're better with yourself. So if you can identify your emotions and accurate self-perception, so this, this is the biggest carrot of the lot. Um, I'm going to like life more. It's a you know, you know, breakthrough. Life's better if you're happy than if you're sad. <laughs> and one key way <laughs> to be happy is to have more self-awareness and self-management. That's you're better with yourself and you're better with others. So, so you know, again, the, the research shows that it helps students in all levels, you know, numeracy and literacy outcomes, but also social outcomes, you know, et cetera. So, so, so the work, mm. the works. Um, yeah. And maybe I should yeah, pause there, go. No, uh, uh, firstly, a, a quick anecdote, um, an example of where um, um, empathy or the downside of empathy. Um, and so uh, the, the story was that uh, Trump, our favorite um, person in the world, <laughs> yes. was giving a rally um, as he wants to do. And he, was, he went on to the topic of the um, absolutely abhorrent uh, situation that is happening with children being separated from their parents at the border of Mexico. And the camera panned to this old woman, like, um, you know, uh, she would have been well past middle age, so I can call her old, uh, who was crying. And, and she, you could see she was emotionally responding to what Trump was talking about. And so the journalist came up to her and asked her, um, you know, are you really upset by um, what you know, what he's talking about right now. And the woman's <laughs> response was, it's just so hard to see. He's trying so hard and people are giving him a hard time. 
So this what? woman was not actually upset about the children being separated. She was upset that people were being hard on Trump. Oh, God. Um, so this is just, it might not be the downside of empathy. It might be misguided empathy, but that was just, that was just an interesting segue. But the one, the, the point that I wanted to get to, and I think it's part of the original core um, social emotional learning um, uh, framework that you talked about is awareness is one thing. And I kind of think I have okay awareness, but management of your emotional setting is another entirely. I call it, I used to call it emotional fitness. So my ability to put my um, emotional um, EQ into play. Okay. So just talking about carrots and sticks in personal relationships, um, so non-work ones, um, I think let's just oversimplify things. There's two reasons that perhaps your personal relationship didn't work out. One, you weren't actually good together. Two, you weren't good at communicating. <laughs> now, if I look back on my early, uh, you know, romantic relationships, that you know they didn't—they're uh, they're not on anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I think that you know my communication wasn't great. Uh, you know, um, and I think it's you know, hopefully you can look back and think you've matured a little. And thank God, because you know it wasn't good. But if I think about it, I had little self-awareness, little self-management. I would get impulse control. And I was very poor at perspective taking and listening to things from other people's side and, you know, being empathetic as well. I don't think, you know, I just would, I would like to think that I've grown. Um, and thank God, because if I think back to some of the things I did in hindsight, I was like, whoa, you know, you, you know, <laughs> that was a good. So in social emotional learning and, and which is just kind of another way of sort of saying emotional intelligence put into a, a framework for school is great for yourself and your interrelationships at work and in personal life. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think um, this is something that, um, you know, I think needs to be given a lot more attention in that I, I believe that emotional intelligence is something that not only, um, you know, needs to be taught, but something that can be taught, um, you know, with consideration, with um, a curriculum, with a framework, um, so that you can help uh, children with things like active listening, um, you know, giving them a vocabulary around, different ways of expressing their feelings, uh, developing self-awareness, all of these different ideas, um, I think there are definitely means or I guess a, a basis for us teaching in the future. Definitely. All right, summary time. Um, social emotional summary. learning, um, you can learn it. It's not something you're born with. You're not born good at empathy or good at communication. You can get better. I'm not saying there isn't certainly people who have more innate you know, strengths in this, but you can definitely improve. Studies show that this is better for students' confidence or kids' confidence, for their numeracy and literacy outcomes, for how effectively they can problem solve, for them being positive with others and themselves, like the works. Um, so to me, yeah, this is something we should be hopefully trying to incorporate more. And if you do it well, it'll help you have a better life. Um, so that's my summary. Uh, so for me, uh, we as human beings are very good at deluding ourselves. <laughs> so if you look at things like the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, typically we're not as competent in certain areas as we like to think we are. Um, and that includes things like emotional intelligence and, so, and emotional awareness. Um, there is also the aspect that we can um, you know, utilize those around us to help us understand ourselves even more. 
the simple act of stopping and reflecting and asking yourself how am I truly feeling right now and why is that can be quite a daunting task but it's also uh, very humbling in a sense of bringing to your awareness just how difficult it can be. Um, as Duncan pointed out, a lot of people think that they're aware, but the, the uh, I guess the stats would show that it's actually a very, very small number of people. We cool. have an opportunity to teach this. We have an opportunity for us to improve this ourselves. Um, and I think the world be, will be a much better place uh, if we can do a little bit better. Awesome. What are we speaking about next time, James? All right, so next week, episode 11. God, we've done 10 episodes already. Um, a very interesting uh, topic, given that Duncan and I are on two sides of the coin with this. Um, but it's one that I've chosen, one I'm very excited for, the problem with romanticism. Cool. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you then. Thanks, everyone. Right. Good chatting, Duncan. Bye.